My theme this morning in a few moments is going to be stewardship, and I don't think I could address stewardship on this day without reminding us all that this Tuesday as Americans, we have a wonderful opportunity, and that is to cast our votes. And I want to encourage you to be a good steward of your piece of America by voting this Tuesday, whether you're Republican or Democrat or whatever your affiliation, you vote according to your heart and be a good steward. Someone will say, well, it won't make any difference. What doesn't make any difference is if we don't vote. If we don't express our vote, then that will not make any difference. And I'm a big believer that uh, we get the government that we deserve. I, I've, I think the American government is a reflection of the American people. And that's true whether you're looking at the formation of our government or the days of our founding fathers, or if you look at our government today. And we can, we can speak badly about our elected officials if we wish, but my guess is they're a pretty good reflection of us and maybe better than we deserve sometimes. We, I know how it is. We think that something happens to our officials when they go to Washington. And remember the story that I love so much about a, a guy who worked in the government department in Washington, a bureaucrat, who got really tired of the rat race up in Washington and was going on vacation and decided that for his vacation he was going to go to rural Georgia and just go on a long series of hikes and just get Washington out of his hair and forget about Washington for a while. And he got into one very rural area and there was a man out running some sheep, shepherd. And uh, the guy was bored and the bureaucrat, he was trying to do something to, to get his mental wheels going again. So I went over to the, to the farmer with sheep and he said, uh, hey buddy, I have a deal for you. He said, I, I've been watching you running these sheep. He said, I bet you I can tell you the exact number of sheep you have. And here's my deal. If I guess the exact number of sheep you have, you have to give me one. And if I get it wrong, I'll give you $10. The old farmer thought, there is no way in the world the city slicker knows how many sheep I have. So he said, all right, I'll take your bet. And the guy said, you got 287 sheep. Farmer said, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. You're exactly right. He said, pick you one out. The old bureaucrat looked around, saw the one he wanted, slung it over his shoulder and started to walk away. And the old farmer said, hey, buddy, come back here. I have a deal for you. He said, I'll bet I can guess what you do for a living. He said, if I get it right, you have to give me my sheep back. And if I get it wrong, I'll give you $10. And it was the old bureaucrat's turn to laugh to himself, thinking there's no way in the world that this, this hayseed is going to know where I, where I live and what I do for a living. He said, all right, I'll take your bet. And the guy said, you're a Washington bureaucrat. And he said, that's the most amazing thing. How did you know? The man said, put my dog down and I'll tell you. <laughs> but you ought to vote anyway, amen. You notice I didn't tell that on the day Congressman T. Hart was here, so... <laughs> My theme this morning is spirit-filled family living, and we are coming down to the close. In fact, there are only two messages left. 
And I want to take a moment to thank so many of you who have written to me and spoken to me and told me what a difference that this series is making in your lives. And that is what I want to hear. Folks, I never preach to perform. I never preach so that someone will say, that's a nice sermon. I never preach so that people will say, we have a great preacher. I can't think of a more meaningless way to spend my life than to do it in that pursuit. But I preach to make a difference. And I believe through the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, this series is making a difference. And to answer another request that some of you have asked about, this series will very soon be boxed. And some of you have asked if it will be available in time to give as a Christmas gift. I think that will be the case. But going back to the series, and now the next to the last sermon, you know that by now everything revolves around a principle that we have discovered in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 8, where the Bible says, The one who sows to please his flesh will reap a harvest of death, and the one who sows to please the Spirit will reap a harvest of life. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior today, I might as well have been speaking in a foreign language. Because unlike a believer in Jesus Christ, you only have one nature. You have the nature that you inherited from Adam that's predisposed towards sin. But if you are God's child, you have the old nature that the Bible calls the flesh, which you got at your first birth. But then you were born again. And now you have the nature of God's Holy Spirit living within you. You have two competing natures, the flesh and the spirit. And you are either sowing to the flesh, the old nature, or sowing to the Holy Spirit, planting seed is what I mean by sowing there. And I want to say to you this morning, and I know I've repeated this time and time again, but I got to tell you, my number one fear in a series like this is my, my fear is that some will hear this and then enjoy it maybe and learn a little bit from it and then go on and move on to other things and forget it. So I've tried to repeat several lines time and time again throughout the series Here is one of those lines. Whatever is going on in your life right now, bad or good, is a harvest of seed that has been sown. What's happening in your life right now is the result of seed that you have sown in the past. If you're married, seed that you and your spouse have sown. If you have a family, seed that your parents or your children have sown. And much of the harvest that you're going through right now may be good. My mom and dad were in the early service. I think dad is teaching a Bible study class right now. But I I thought as I looked out and saw them sitting back in the section, a lot of the good harvest that is going on in my life today is a result of the seed that my parents sowed when I was growing up. I, I told the congregation in the early service how my mom used to pray with me every day before I went to school. From the first grade, she would, you know, grab me and say, okay, before you go, we have to pray. All the way to the time here I was a senior in high school when I had my own car and was going out with girls and all that. And I tried to hide from her, but she would catch me and say, before you get out of the house, we're going to pray. And it's the same with you. Let me ask you a question today. I want want you to respond to this. How many of you are reaping some good harvest because of some seed that other people have sown in your life. Would you raise your hand right now and give testimony of that? You are reaping a good harvest because of seed that others have sown. Some of you are reaping some bad seed, bad harvest, because of some bad seed that you or others have sown. But regardless, whatever's going on in your life right now, bad or good, is a harvest of previous seed that's been sown. It's not bad karma. 
It's not bad luck. It's not that you married the wrong person. It's not that you just don't get the breaks. you got a harvest going on. And let's own up to it. Whatever's going on in our life right now is a harvest of seed that's been sown. Also, what happens tomorrow, what happens in the future, will be a harvest of seed that you are sowing today. That, ladies and gentlemen, is as sure a fact as the fact that there is a God in heaven. You can't beat it. You can't get around it. And if you're sowing good seed, you don't want to get around it. You just want to get in on it. But it's a fact. The harvest that you will experience tomorrow is contingent upon the seed that you are sowing today. Now, somebody could be brand new to our worship today, and you could say, Pastor, I haven't been here all summer and first part of the fall. What's this you're talking about sowing seed? Again, I want to repeat something I've said time and time again. Every thought you think, every attitude you hold, every deed you perform, every word you say is a seed. Every one of them. They're not things that just happen in our lives and disappear. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your words, your actions, they are seeds. And you will see them again. Now, that gets me to this morning's message, the next to the last, in our Spirit-filled Family Living series. And could I say right from the beginning, this is for mature audiences only. Okay? This is for mature audiences only. Every once in a while, you know how it is. You're watching television. There's a program coming on. It will say something to the effect that there's something in this program that might be offensive or might not be appropriate. What that means is it's probably going to be filth. Turn it off. But I want to say to you this morning, don't turn me off. But this is for mature audiences only. I want to talk to you about spirit Field stewardship. I speak to this, this morning to the richest generation of Christians in the history of the world when I remind us today that not only are our attitudes and our actions and our words and our thoughts seed, but our money is seed. And how we are sowing our seed today will have a bearing on the harvest that we will experience in the future. And God is saying to us, as you sow, so will be your harvest. Well, folks, there are three challenges to seeing our money as part of God's principle of sowing and reaping. And the first challenge is, there are culturally familiar lanes of money growth with which we're all familiar. When I talk to you about sowing and God blessing you with the harvest... It's going to seem foreign to us, especially as Americans, because we know how money grows. We're pretty familiar with that. You can work on a job and gain income. You can invest or you can innovate. Those are basically the three ways that you obtain money lawfully. You can work, you can invest, you can innovate. Frankly, most of us, even American Christians, Most of us just don't see God in that picture. We see work, we see investment, we see innovation, but we just don't see God in that picture. So therefore, most of us, even those of us who are saved, we just don't consider God in this issue of money growth. Secondly, the second challenge we have to understanding this is that we compartmentalize life. We see spiritual things over here and we see material things over here. And we keep them separate. Work is where I go to get money. The marketplace is where I go to spend money. My home is where I bring the stuff that I buy with my money. 
My church is over here where I worship God. And we keep these things separate. Now remember, that's what a lot of people think. Christians, we compartmentalize. We've got, the, we've got you know, work, that's where I go to get money. Marketplace, that's where I go to spend money. Home, that's where I bring the stuff. But God's work is over here separate and apart. The, se- the third challenge that we have is that our flesh is innately selfish. We are selfish by our natures. That's our old nature. But in the face of these challenges, God has a message for us who want to walk with Him. And I want to read it to you this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. And what I want you to pay attention to is how God uses this principle that we've been studying all summer and now through the fall of sowing and reaping. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. See, that God doesn't want you to give because it's your duty to give or because you're being pressed to give. I heard the story, supposedly true story. In fact, I can probably believe it. Of a man who got saved. And I mean really saved. He had been living a rough life. Wasn't particularly well educated. He was a dropout in high school. Never learned a whole lot. But I mean when God saved him, he got a real case of salvation. And after the service on Sundays, he would always go down to the front and bug the preacher to give him a job in the church. And he just kept asking, kept asking, kept asking. The pastor kept thinking, what could I assign this man to do? He hasn't been saved very long. And he didn't want to give him a Sunday school class or this and that. So finally, he just thought about one job that he'd been putting off that he didn't want to do. He didn't think there was a whole lot of loss associated with it anyway. There was a stack of inactive members, people who just hadn't been to church in two or three years. He'd been meaning to send out letters to these people, but he just never had the time. So this, when this old boy came up to him after service on Sunday morning and said, Pastor, would you give me a job? The pastor said, okay, I got a job for you. He said, I got, a, I got a list of people who haven't been to church in two or three years. He said, I just want you to write them an encouraging letter and ask them to come back to church. And so the guy did it. And a week later, the pastor got a letter from a professional, a doctor in the church who hadn't been in, he's a member, he'd been on the church roll, but hadn't been in two or three years. And the guy, guy wrote and said, dear pastor, I'm sorry, I have not been in church. I've been out of church, but he said, I want to make you a promise. I will be in church this coming Sunday and I'll be in church every Sunday the rest of the year. He said, enclosed is my check for two years tithe, which I have not paid. He said, P.S., would you tell your secretary that there's only one T in dirty and no C in skunk? Now, now that's not how God wants you to give. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you notice all the alls in there and the every? Look at that one more time. 
God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to be God. Now, folks, let's be very clear this morning. The seed God is talking about here is money that we give to his work. Let's just be very blunt about that. It is money that we give to his work. Notice how God uses the principle that we've been working with for the last months, we, last five months. We've got sowing and reaping and harvest. God is telling us that if we sow sparingly, we will have a lean harvest. If we sow generously, we'll have a full harvest. And God talks about enlarging our harvest. That's what we've been talking about in this whole series. Now let us begin to think about this for a few moments and we'll be through in the service. The first thing I want you to see is there is a practical side to this. Every church, every ministry obviously has a present situation. But the question is, will there be a future? Will there be a future for Messiah Baptist Church? Will there be a future for other Bible preaching churches in our city? Will there be a future for mission organizations like TEAM or Baptist International Missions, Wycliffe? Is there a future? Someone will say that future is up to God. Well, as far as God giving us opportunity, that is true. But when it comes to the viability of these ministries, it's very different. It gets very practical. Someone will say, well, this church will make it to the future if, if it's, it's up to God. It's not up to us. Folks, God has already proved his love to Messiah Baptist Church. Can we get that in our minds this morning? God has already proved his love for us. He gave us his only begotten son. Beyond that, he has given us salvation freely. There wasn't a member of Messiah Baptist Church who had to pay for his salvation. Couldn't do it anyway. Every member of our family receives salvation as a free gift. And how do we do the work of God in this church? We do it through the energy of his Holy Spirit, which, by the way, was given to us. But that brings us to a practical point this morning, folks, whether it's here in Wichita or in Russia, like the missionary who spoke to us on Wednesday night, it costs something to do God's work. It is expensive to do God's work. And God has left the viability of this ministry in your hands and my hands. God has left this work in our hands. In our case, it's Messiah. God loves our church. There's no doubt in my mind about that. God has been good to Messiah Baptist Church. And God cares about our church. I don't doubt that for a moment. But as much as God loves Messiah, he has left, he has risked the future of this church to our hands. Thankfully, you are a faithful people. Somebody could say, Pastor Hoover, I can't afford to think much about this kind of stuff. I have my house and my car and my charge cards and I have to think about my children's stuff. Okay, I'm not disputing any of that. Let me ask you a question. Is it important to you 
especially baby boomers here today, because we're not very strong in this area. It's not as strong as our parents were. Is it important to you that there's a church like this for your children? Is it important to you? Is it important to you that there's a church like this for your grandchildren? Does it matter? In many places, the gospel light has flickered out because God's people simply did not care. That's certainly true in Europe. A hundred years ago in Europe, some of the most powerful churches in the world, they were in London. You could hear Spurgeon. You could hear F.B. Meyer, McLaren. Great, powerful men of God were preaching the word of God on the front page of the London newspapers. They printed the sermons of these great men. But now there's only a trickle of God's work there. It's true in Europe. And it's becoming true in the United States. I don't even know how to say what I'm about to say, and I may even say it wrong. And if I do, and if I leave you with the wrong impression, I'm sorry for that. But there's something going on in America today. And a church like Messiah, with all of God's blessings upon us, we can reflect a kind of deception without even wishing to do that. God's been good to us. You folks are faithful to give. God has blessed us with this wonderful facility. God is growing our church. God has given us the great education building with the JBS Project. A person could drive down 21st Street or drive the Northeast Expressway and look at this plant, and, and people could say, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ is in great shape in America in the year 2002. But that's not the case. Because you see, although there are some churches really growing and going for God, like Messiah, so many churches, so many lights that used to burn for God have flickered out. And churches like ours that are so visible, without even realizing it, we're contributing, to, I think, unwillfully to a deception. Because it looks like things are good and it looks like things are viable. But so many churches have closed their doors because many of God's people just have not cared about the future. And it's happening at alarming rates since September 11th. I take a lot of ministry journals, a lot of pastors' magazines. I don't have time to read them, but I scan them. And I keep reading stories about how that there are ministries and churches that are in financial trouble after September 11th and the downturn of the economy. Giving has dropped off. And someone would say, Pastor, these, these churches, these ministries, it's God's work. If God wants to do something about it, He'll just rain down money from heaven. No, that's not how God does it. God takes care of His ministries by blessing His people in order for them to bless His work. Study the Bible. And you'll find story after story that Jesus told about stewardship. He tells parables or stories about a master who goes away on a long journey and he leaves his servants with some of his resources to use as stewards. And that is, how we, that is what we have been left for. Those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been left here to do the work of God. And the, the resources that we have been trusted with, we are to in turn... Obey God and love God and use those resources for the kingdom of God, for the viability of future ministries. And by the way, beloved, we are stewards. Let me give you a truth that is unquestionably true. Listen to me, please. You will never own anything until you get to heaven. 
you will never own anything until you get to heaven. Because we are just stewards here. We are temporary tenants. We are going to leave it all behind. Even those who have made hundreds of millions of dollars with great investments and have the fine homes in Miami and Hollywood. They're going to leave it all behind. We're just stewards until we get to heaven. And let me say to those of you who might be members of another church, listening here today or on the radio or downloading the sermon on the internet, the future of your church is in your hands. You say, well, if God wants to bless it, he'll bless it. No, God has put you there. The future of your church has been entrusted in your hands. For the rest of us, it is Messiah. When the Bible tells us to sow for a harvest, there is a practical side. God has risked the future of this ministry and all its opportunities by entrusting you and me with them. God has entrusted us with the viability of this ministry. And when I understand that, it affects the way I look at Messiah Baptist Church. If I understand, and I am a family member, even though I'm pastor, I'm still a family member of this congregation. If I understand that the viability of this ministry has been trusted to my hands, it affects the way I look at this church. Instead of having a consumer mentality, I have a stewardship mentality. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by a consumer mentality? Well, again, I'm blessed. We're so blessed here at Messiah not to have this in our church. But in so many churches today, people come in with a consumer mentality, just like they go to McDonald's or they go to the mall or they go to the grocery store. They see themselves as a customer. So therefore, everything in the church must, must please them because they are a customer. They are doing business with a concern. And that has given rise to a whole new movement in so-called ministry called the church growth industry, in which pastors and church leaders are coached in ways to give people what they want so they'll keep coming and paying for the show. I hate to be that blunt, but that's what's going on in many churches in America today. There is a consumer mentality. But that can never be the case here because this is the church of Jesus Christ. We have been entrusted with the future of this ministry. We do not come as consumers. We are here as stewards. And may we never forget that we are not consumers. When you come to Messiah, you're not at the mall. You're not at the grocery store. You're not at a restaurant. You're a family member. Again, I referenced my parents this morning. My dad used to tell me when I would have to do my chores around the house, he would say, son, you do that because you're a member of this family. You're a family member here. You pick up your clothes, you clean up your room, you mow the grass, you do the chores because you are a member of this family. And God has blessed Messiah. We've grown a lot this year. And we have a lot of new family members. And I just want to relate to all of us here today. If you've come to be part of this fellowship, we don't regard you as a consumer. You are a family member. That means we pick up our clothes and do our chores. We're not consumers here. Now, there are churches like that today. And I can give you some of my magazines. And you can look some of them up if you want to go attend one where you can be a consumer, but not here. God has trusted us. 
He has put this ministry in our hands. He has gone away on a journey and He has trusted us with the viability of this ministry for the future. And God has been good to us. I've been here 17 years. Some of you have been here longer. Did you know in the year 2004, Messiah will be 40 years old as a church? 40 years of God's blessing on this church. I do not boast except in the Lord when I say that people all over the world know about Messiah Baptist Church. I thank God for what this church has been. I thank God for our history. I am amazed at what God is doing here today. Some of the favorite conversations I have is with some of you who have been here 20 years or more. And you tell me about your excitement about what God is doing in Messiah Baptist Church today. So I thank God for the past and I'm very happy about what God is doing here right now. But I have three sons and one of them is eight. I need this church to be on fire for God and doing great things 40 years from now. And someday, when God blesses me with them, my grandkids will need a place where God is doing great things. Oh, yes, there's a practical side of this. God has trusted you and me with the future, the viability of this church. Now let me take a turn because there's so much more than a practical side. There are wonderful promises to anyone who gives to God's work. Let me start by saying this. You never work from a deficit position when you give to God's work. That you work, and listen, if you go shopping, you're working from a deficit position. Amen? I mean, if you got $100 and you go to the mall and you walk around for a while and you spend $75, you have $75 less than you entered the mall with. Anything else in life, it's just that's a simple fact of very basic accounting. You're working from a deficit position, but not with God. Remember, it goes back to this principle of sowing and reaping. Because whenever you give to God, you're not losing something. You are planting something. And you expect a harvest. Now, I didn't mean to preach this right now, but for somebody who may be going through the loss of a loved one, or maybe even your own, maybe you're wondering if you're going to live very long, could I just remind you that the Bible talks about the body not being buried, but being planted, being sown. I was driving to preach in Hutchinson the other day, and on 96, I passed a cemetery and a milo field side by side. And I couldn't help but think about what the Bible says. You know, you don't, a farmer doesn't go out and say, well, I'm going to bury some seed, because he expects to see it again. Amen? He goes out to plant some seed. Now, it's the same thing when you give. You don't bury your money because you are planting it. You are sowing it. That is God's concept, not mine, but God's. And there are three components to this law of sowing and reaping. Here is the first one. I've given these to you before and you know them. But the first one is you always reap what you sow. That's the law of seed. Number two, you always reap later than you sow. That's the law of time. And then number three, you always reap more than you sow. That's the law of multiplication. Let's talk about that first one. When you give to God's work, you reap, listen to me, you reap 
what you sow. If you sow financial seed, you will be blessed financially because it's the law of seed. You reap what you sow. If you sow financially, you will reap. You'll be blessed financially. That is the law of seed. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus said, Give, it will be given to you. Now, there are two common mistakes that are made at this point. The first, and they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. The first mistake is the idea of prosperity theology. And we've all, we all know what that's about. You've got some TV preacher driving a Rolls Royce, saying, send me your money. And if you send me your money, you can drive a Rolls Royce. That is prosperity theology. It's goofy. It's not in the Bible. It's not at all what God's talking about. Janis Joplin put it in a song in the late 60s. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? That's not right. But the other mistake, which is on the other end of the spectrum, is just as wrong. And that is the mistake that says, I don't think you can expect God to bless you financially because you give. Well, Mr. Hyperspiritual, would you mind explaining to me what Jesus was saying then? Because he said, give, and it will be given to you. It's the law of seed. You reap what you sow. If you sow financial seed, you will be blessed financially. In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, the Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There are some today who say, well, tithing is not for today. That was a concept that was under the law. Let me give you two thoughts on that. Number one, tithing is not under the law. It was before the law. Abraham brought tithes to Melchizedek. Jacob said, if you will bless me, I will give you the tenth. It's a principle. That's the second thing I want to tell you. It's a principle of giving. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, every one of us to lay by on store on the first day of the week as God, as God has prospered us. It's a percentage concept. So what is the Bible saying? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Let the word of God speak for itself. The law of seed says, if you sow, you will reap what you have sown. If you sow financial seed, you will reap a harvest of financial blessings. Second part of that law, you reap later than you sow. Listen, I will tell you, just about every time I have stepped out by faith in the matter of giving, I've almost always been tested. But what I have discovered is if I will stay faithful through that test, God will bless. And God knows when to bring the harvest. Remember, the Bible says you will always have all that you need in every situation. That's where faith comes in. God will bring the harvest according to his perfect timing. And then there is the third law, the law of multiplication. You know, if you plant three grains of corn, you can expect to get several ears of corn because you reap more than you sow. And that's what God is able to do. God can take the seed we sow in faith and use it in ways that we never dreamed. I mean, here's the thing. I talked to you a moment ago about going to the mall. If you, if you take $100, you spend it at the mall, maybe you might get $100 worth of merchandise. Not likely. You spend $100, you might get $30 worth of something, you know? That's light. But when you work with God, it's totally different. 
Because see what happens is when you sow to God's work in accordance with his will and the love that's in your heart, when you sow to God's work, you are putting your gift in the hands of the one who took five loaves and two fish and fed 20,000 people. God is not restricted to the raw value of the gift that you bring to him. I know how it is. When I make out my tithe check and my faith promise, and I'm blessed in life, but I look at that amount and I think six million people in the world, and how's that going to, how's that going to reach six billion people? But that's not the issue. The issue is I have put it in God's hands. And God has the ability to enlarge it. Now I want to read our text one more time. Verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, two things Paul says in this particular text that excite me. He said, number one, when you give, God can, quote, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So whenever you write that faith promise amount, in and you say it doesn't look that big it doesn't look like that much but if you give it in faith and if you give it in joy and if you give it in love imagine what god can do with that because see here's the thing god can enlarge the harvest he can make it greater than you have make it of greater effect than you ever dreamed and then not only will god enlarge the harvest number two paul writes he will increase your store of seed guess what the seed is (laughs) So God enlarges the harvest and blesses us with more seed so that we can invest more in God's work in order that we can have an even greater harvest. And I want to tell you something, folks. Think about this. When you step into heaven, I'll guarantee you it won't make much difference to us whether or not we drove a Mercedes-Benz or a Rolls-Royce. But when we see the people who walk into heaven because they were one to Jesus Christ through our investment in God's work, that will be sweet to us. Well, one more time, I want to read our scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Let me read it again. I just want us to get it. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap also sparingly. Whoever sows generously also will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, what does that verse, what do those verses start out with? The word remember. God says, remember this. Why? Because our flesh is selfish and we're short-sighted. So God's saying, remember some things. Remember. What are we to remember? Number one, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. What do you draw from that, pastor? Well, number one, I draw from the fact that the fact that no one is excluded. The Bible says, whoever sows sparingly We'll reap sparingly. Who do you think gives the most in the average American church? Someone will say, I wish I could be a millionaire because if I was a millionaire, I would give so much to God's work. Do you know who statistically gives the most in America, among American Christians? People who make under $30,000 a year. 
they tithe at the highest levels, they give the greater percentage of their income. And typically, the more a person makes, the less they give. Now, that's not true in every, every case, but statistically, that's true in America. But remember, this is a whoever. The Bible says whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So the first thing I learned is it's a, it's a universal principle. Whoever, the second thing I learned from that is that God is paying attention to what I sow and what you sow. The second thing we see here is the amount of seed that we sow is a heart matter. God doesn't chisel it out of us. God loves a cheerful giver. I know you've heard this before, but the Greek word, seriously, the Greek word for cheerful there does mean hilarious. Hey, can you imagine, have you ever been to an offering where people are saying, wow, isn't it great we get to give to God's work? You probably have not seen that, at least in a Baptist church. God loves hilarious givers. Why should we be hilarious? That's what we've been talking about this morning. Because God is saying, trust me on this one. If you will sow, you will reap. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. Not only am I going to magnify your harvest out there, I'm going to turn around and give you more seed so that you can have a greater harvest out there. That's why God's people should be hilarious when the offering is taken. But if you and I come and say, okay, boy, it's a deficit situation. And folks, please, please, don't come to God's house and take your checkbook out and so, oh, I hate to do this. And then drop it in the offering plate and say, goodbye, old friend. <laughs> I mean, what's the point? Ladies, suppose your husband came home from work with two dozen beautifully arranged roses. You say, are those for me? He says, yeah. Well, is there some special occasion? Well... The boss at work was saying, you know, we ought to do more for our wives. And I figured I may as well go ahead and write the check and buy you these roses. <laughs> you know, after that old boy woke up and they're sewing up his head from the glass vase breaking on it. <laughs> he's going to learn a lesson about women. And that is that no wife wants to receive that kind of gift. Neither does God. God wants gifts from hilarious, mature Christians. God, wa God wants gifts from people who believe in His work, who care about His work, who care about the future of His work, and who believe, God, that people who give to God's work do not operate on a deficit basis. All right, it's 12.15. I don't usually preach this late. Get to the bottom line, Pastor. Three words in verse 8. God is able. How does this work? It works because God is able. The Bible says God is able to make all grace abound to you in every way, in every situation, so that you have all you need to do great works for God. And I know you're putting your Bible and stuff away because we've gotten to the end. I always threaten to put an extra dummy point in there so that that won't happen. But that would be dishonest. But I think about it. <laughs> Here's what I draw from today's message. From the Word of God. 
if I will put my puny dollars to work for God, God will put all heaven to work for me. That's the word of God. God is looking for people who will trust him. God is not worried about getting his hands on my tithe. He spoke the world into existence. I assure you, he's not wringing his hands trying to get his hands on Mark Hoover's tithe. He wants Mark Hoover to trust him. And he wants that from you. Let's stand. You've been listening to the Messiah Hour, sponsored by the Messiah Baptist Church at 12,200 East 21st Street in Wichita. Join us again next week on KMYR at 9 a.m. for the Messiah Hour.